Ήχερα την αυγό γεφθάμενον της αρκός αυτού και τούτο προλαβό της Αγίας Εφόης ο Άρτης πιστήν επικράτη συναντήσασικά επικράτη Listening to Vexed, a program on the Ephesus School Network. I'm Andrea Bacchus, your curator through biblical literature and its world and culture. Just as a museum curator selects, acquires, cares for, repairs objects, and discovers frauds and counterfeits, I'll be sifting through our world and culture for examples to help us better understand. The biblical text. In today's episode, I'd like us to hear Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 20 to 26. What were the Corinthians up to that prompted Paul? to take them to task. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians is the angry letter from a father to his wayward children. It is his duty to straighten them out. The fact that we have his letter in writing, that it is part of the biblical corpus, means that it is authoritative, and every time we hear it read to us in church, it is a decree an official directive. My colleague, Father Dustin Lyon, made a shrewd observation on his program recently. He explained that the reason we stand in church when the gospel is read is that this is the proper posture for those receiving the judgment of the judge. The setting is the courtroom, and we are the accused. And we stand to hear the judge's sentence. Very powerful. Now you know this. Either you've seen the courtroom in action on TV, or you've served jury duty and have seen it in person. As we hear Paul, we are children listening to the voice of our Father calling us out and correcting us. We must take it as correction unto our good, so that we know the rules which we are required to follow as God's children. Paul's letters are repetitive. He keeps saying the same things over and over. This is very much in keeping with the way the Bible, the various books of the Bible, repeat themselves. The instruction is repeated over and over as a kind of drilling. Remember when you had to go through drills in school? Vocabulary and math, for example. You repeated words and sums over and over until you got them, until they were fixed in your brain. The Bible's intention is to bore you in two senses of the word. The first sense is that its repetition is intended to bore into you, to fix its story, its instruction into your brain. The way you are made to learn words and numbers the old-fashioned way. 
to format you so that you know, so that you can recite two plus two without thinking about it. It is learning something by rote. The definition of rote is the mechanical or habitual repetition of something to be learned. The second sense is that its repetition is meant to bore you, meaning make us feel bored in hearing it. And when you're bored with something, you want it to stop. You can't wait for it to be done. It's a kind of harassment. We are put in the position of the child who must endure the nagging parent. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul is not interested in saying hello. He is not interested in congratulating or even encouraging the Corinthians. He doesn't have time for that. He is a man under pressure. He is their father, responsible to teach them and make sure they understand that teaching so that they can behave in accordance with it. He is a man under orders, accountable to God for them. You can hear his seriousness in the letter, and he is displeased that they are getting it wrong. Let's hear what the issue is in these verses. In verses 20 to 22, we hear, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Let's unpack this. What is going on? What is Paul talking about? He goes right to the problem. He says, It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. He is telling the Corinthians that they are refusing the host's hospitality. They are the guests invited to dinner at someone else's home, and instead of patiently waiting to receive the hospitality of the host, they start looking through the cabinets and drawers, opening the refrigerator and helping themselves. Have you ever had a guest in your home who took this kind of liberty? It's offensive, right? We feel our hospitality has been violated. The Corinthians are gathering ostensibly at the Lord's table, but acting like it is their table, as though they can do whatever they want. They are not behaving as members of a body, members of a community, responsible to and for one another, as is commanded by the Lord. They are each looking after themselves. Paul goes on to say, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. It's like a potluck dinner where each person brings a dish, and all are meant to share the bounty. But instead of taking a bit of every person's dish, each person only eats their own food. Is this really sharing a table? This is not acceptable for Paul. For Paul, there is one table, one meal for all. 
the way that at Thanksgiving all eat from the one turkey. If you find that you have some extra guests coming, you buy a larger turkey. You don't buy two. This is what Paul is saying. You can't split the table. He continues, One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? He means that the purpose of the Lord's table is not to eat and drink. You can do this at home. He then fires at them. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul then sets them straight, teaches them what the Lord's table is all about. He says in verses 23 to 26, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a metaphor. The terms body and blood here are an expression, a way to express a broken body, Jesus crucified. This sacrifice of the crucified Jesus is the teaching that Paul is giving them. Under orders of his father, Jesus was sacrificed, and it is this Jesus, crucified, that is the head of this table. Paul connects the betrayal of Jesus with the Corinthians' behavior. He is saying that the Corinthians are betraying the crucified Jesus in the way they are conducting themselves. At the Lord's table, Jesus' table, he feeds the gathering with his covenant. The word in Greek is theathiki, which means to firmly put in place, to set or establish. The emphasis is on the authority of the one who establishes. We have connection here to the covenant spoken of in the book of Genesis chapter 6. The word there in the Septuagint Greek is also the Athiki, which is the translation of the Hebrew word berit. It is not an agreement or partnership the way we understand it today. It is his word of command that he sets. In the Gospels, Jesus does very little beside talking, teaching, teaching, teaching. He is his instruction. Yes, I know he performs miracles, but the miracles in the stories function as instruction for you as the hearer of the story. This table is not about the gathered. They do not participate the way we speak about the Eucharist today. 
the gathered are the junior and therefore do not drive the action. It is the Lord's table, meaning it is his property. He is the senior, the host, and at his table, he rules. He gives his law. This is the way he feeds the gathering. It's the manna from heaven. We have the model, the way to understand this, to understand Paul's critique of the Corinthians' behavior from the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 16, the people grumble against God. They complain to Moses that they would have been better off dying in Egypt, where there was plenty to eat, than dying there in the wilderness. In the Bible, the wilderness is the place of nothingness. It is not a city where you have buildings and walls and agriculture and commerce and a place where you can readily find food. In the wilderness, the people are totally dependent on God and his provision. And they didn't trust that God would provide for them. In the story in Exodus chapter 16, God, through Moses, tells the people that he will provide for them, but there is a condition. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven every day, and the people are to gather only enough for that day, no more, no less. And he goes on to say that this will be a test to see if they will obey him. Then Moses warns them not to keep any bread beyond the day's allocation. No Tupperware leftovers to have for the next day. But the story says that some did not listen and they held on to some of the manna until morning. They disobeyed God's instruction. But the manna did not keep. The manna bred worms and stank. The word in Hebrew is Y-Yib-Ash. And Moses was angry with them, as Paul was with the Corinthians. The sons of Israel and the Corinthians refused to accept that they could not do what they wanted with God's provision. It was God who provided according to his rule, and they had only to receive it with thanks. This is a persistent tension in the Bible. Let's come back to Paul's words. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 to 26 should be familiar to Orthodox Christians. Every liturgy, it is Paul's words that the priest speaks over the gifts, verbatim. The text of our liturgy, of the preparation of the Eucharist, comes from Paul's letters. When we go up and receive communion, we are taking a seat at the Lord's table in order to hear his instruction. It is neither magic nor a spiritual elixir, as I have heard it explained. That is an incorrect understanding of the Eucharist, a lot of self-referential nonsense. As I was studying these verses, I was reminded of someone whose writing I have come to admire and that is Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain was a chef in New York City who became a celebrity in 1999 after he wrote an article, 
An Insider's Advice to Restaurant Goers, which was published in the New Yorker magazine. He went on to write books and hosted several travel documentary programs showcasing cuisine and culture from all over the world. I was actually late to the Anthony Bourdain phenomenon and only became aware of him after he died. A friend gave me his book, Kitchen Confidential, and I was hooked after only the first few pages. I was captivated by the authenticity of his voice, the way he speaks so plainly. There is so much empathy, and at the same time, he pulls no punches. He isn't afraid to be frank. His writing is raw and ruthless at times, full of vitality. He was a wonderful writer. It is terribly sad, and it is a loss to those who love words that we will not hear from him again. I want to read you something he wrote because it is a powerful expression of Paul's teaching. It is the Lord's table properly understood. Anthony Bourdain has captured it. What I'm about to read comes from his book, Medium Raw. It's a memoir of Bourdain's time as a chef of cuisine, food culture, and hospitality. Here is the voice of Anthony Bourdain. He writes, I don't care what you do in your home, but the idea of a vegetarian traveler in comfortable shoes waving away the hospitality, the distillation of a lifetime of training and experience of, say, a Vietnamese pho vendor or Italian mother-in-law, for that matter, fills me with sputtering indignation. No principle is, to my mind, worth that. No Western concept of, is it a pet or is it meat, excuses that kind of rudeness. I often talk about the grandma rule for travelers. You may not like grandma's Thanksgiving turkey. It may be overcooked and dry and her stuffing salty and studded with rubbery pellets of giblet you find unpalatable in the extreme. You may not even like turkey at all. But it's grandma's turkey, and you are in grandma's house. So shut the bleep up and eat it. And afterward, say, Thank you, grandma. Why, yes, Yes, of course I'd love seconds. To me, that is the quintessence of Paul's teaching in chapter 11, verses 20 to 26. This is what Paul is taking pains to teach the Corinthians. This is what we are endorsing, witnessing, when we go up to receive communion every Sunday. It is grandma's turkey. It is the Lord's table, not yours. It is grandma's house, the Lord's house. So we have no say in what goes on there, nor do we have a say in what is served. We are guests at grandma's table, just as we are guests at the Lord's table. 
And all we can say is thank you very much for the invitation. I would love seconds. Let us remember that Paul is teaching the Corinthians and teaching us by extension as hearers of his letter. Paul's letters were read aloud to the communities he formed as teachings, and we should hear it the same. When we go to liturgy, we do not sit in the pew and read our Bibles privately. The priest or the deacon read the readings unto or over those gathered. It is for us to hear this teaching as a collective. That is what's being offered to us, the gathered, as a community. So when you go up for communion next time, remember Anthony Bourdain's grandma rule for travelers. Keep quiet, say thank you, take your seat, and be grateful for the meal. Until next time, this is Vexed. Vexed is a production of the Ephesus School Network.